0: Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday the 10th of November 2019. This evening we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7, and brings us a message entitled, Knowledge Begins with Fear. It's rather a uh, popular within our, our modern culture to have some sort of, of life motto, maybe a, a phrase, a, a pithy statement or a quotation, a, a short sentence that is important to us. Basically, it, it's, it's a, a couple of words come together that, that encapsulates something of our, of our values, something that, that we believe. Maybe you've got something like that. For for Christians, we, we would maybe talk in the lines of, of our favourite Bible verse. Maybe some of you have a particular verse of Scripture that is close to you. Maybe it's dear to your heart. Maybe it's that, that verse that God used to open your heart to come to salvation in, in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's, it's a quote that you've read from, from a book. Maybe it's a line from a, a, a much-loved sermon that you've heard and you, you go back to time and time again. We do this within uh, within the world of Christianity, but outside of, of the world of Christianity, people do this lots of lots and lots of occasions, different situations where people will have various phrases, various lines that are close to them. They'll plaster them on, on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. Um, some people will, will put them in... In, in prominent places in their homes, we've been to someone's house and they have different, you know, different frames up, different pictures, you know, different emblems that they'll have up on their their house with a phrase, their life motto. Even some people will go as far as getting it tattooed onto their body, so they'll definitely never forget their much loved life motto. It's a popular thing, and we can get a sense of why people would do that. Something important to do. Really, once we're doing these, we 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 have, with these models, they act as, as guides to our lives. They act as as a reminder for us in often situations to get back to basics. We we hear that 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 maybe that life model, that, that phrase, that, that, that verse of scripture, and it speaks to us time and time again. And maybe we will go back to it time and time again. It tells us how to prioritize what is truly important to us. With that all in mind, maybe you're thinking ahead and probably the most famous book in all of of God's word related to this idea of, of mottos and pithy statements is the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs is quite simply a truly majestic book of poetry, specifically Hebrew poetry. It's Filled to the brim with divinely inspired instructions of how to live a truly satisfying but ultimately God honouring life. And with that in our mind we're going to turn to Proverbs and look at Proverbs chapter 1 and consider the first seven verses this, this evening of Proverbs chapter 1. And this is God's word. Verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dating, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This evening, we're going to primarily look at... Verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 1, we will see quite clearly this is the, the motto, the motto text, the, the theme, the heartbeat of this Old Testament book. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. Just a few uh, brief words about, about this book. If there was one word that would sum up or define the book of Proverbs, well, it wouldn't be a very difficult question. And to get an answer to that, it would be wisdom. Wisdom sums up Proverbs. But one of the problems that we, we face, and it's right across, it's endemic of our entire world, when we arrive at the book of Proverbs, it's similar to that of Psalms because it's, it's poetry, is that we, we look maybe at a verse or we look at a particular chapter of Psalm or of Proverbs and we look at it in, in isolation, and often uh, we have a tendency, and we do this sometimes if we're honest, we, we, we divorce it from what's going on, the context in which it's, it's speaking to, and really we, we fail to grasp the depth of what it has to teach. So we sort of dig it up, up from its roots and its foundation, and we look at it in, in isolation. That can be problematic, and you, I'm sure you can grasp that. And Proverbs, unfortunately, it's a, it's a firm favourite of those within the broad scope of Christianity, and I underline, highlight, emphasise broad scope of Christianity that, that would promote a type of, of health and wealth and prosperity teaching. I, I tell you if, you, if you don't believe me, just simply go on to, to YouTube and type in sermons on Proverbs. And I guarantee you the first number of sermons that will come up will be preachers that will uh, advocate a, a prosperity in gospel, which is so sad. The idea of, of come to Jesus and your life will, will somehow be better in, in this world. When we think of the book of Proverbs, I want, us to, I want to encourage us to think, think of it like this. Instead of looking at these, these, these statements, and there's many, and they're very, very good. And often people will quote a verse out of Proverbs, and that's, that's important, that's wise. I'm going to do it a couple of times later on. It's important to do that, but we don't look at them as, as black and white guarantees. It's better to think of Proverbs as, as guidelines for living, not guarantees In life, and you'll see that littered throughout. That we don't read; we have to have discernment once we come to scripture. We don't read it black and white and say, "Oh, well, that that means that if 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 I if I I live a certain way, well, I'm going to definitely be blessed and uh, life is going to be all rosy." No, that's not what Proverbs is getting at. It's guidelines for living, not guarantees. For life, that's helped me in my thinking. I hope it able will help you as you consider this book and come to it in the future. So, so with that, as we don't want to lose the context, what's going on here in, in Proverbs? And with that, we need to do a little flicking. So, if you have your Bible still open, turn with me backwards a couple of books of the Bible to. 1 Kings 1 Kings chapter 3 and this sets up what we will be thinking about as Proverbs begins in chapter 1 verse 1 Proverbs or uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 and this will give us our answer of what is going on we we read in Proverbs chapter 1 that the of a man called Solomon we're told that he's the, the son of David that uh, the great king David the king of Israel king David the most renowned king that they had. And now, as, as, as David has passed, Solomon has now become the king of Israel. And he understands the weight and the magnitude of this task before him. He's, he's the king of people, but he's the king of, of God's people, which has a greater weight to it. And it's a vast amount of people that he has to rule over. More than that, Solomon, if you know his story, he has has a a particular task to oversee. And that is to rebuild the temple. And again, there's a lot of significance with that. And with that, with those sort of two ideas, those two responsibilities, uh, overseeing the people, protecting them, guarding them well, leading them well. And overseeing the rebuilding of the temple, which was hugely significant. He turns to the Lord. Look at verse 5 in chapter 3 of 1 of Kings. It says, As a Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. God offers Solomon, really uh, gives him the blank check. He says, what do you want? What do you need? And I will provide it to you. If you drop down to, to verse 9, we read the, that Solomon asks for an understanding mind. He sees the weight of his task, and this is what he asks God for. Solomon asks for an understanding mind, how to deal and handle these, these situations and responsibilities. And then if we look at uh, we might have to turn over to chapter 4 and verses 29 to 30, where we read these words and it continues on for a few verses, but just verses 29 to 30 of chapter 4 and 1 First King, First Kings it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond Measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. In essence, we could summarize that into these words What we have is the wisest man to have lived on earth, and we have his writings. We have the book of Proverbs. We have all the Proverbs, three thousands of them, and the the thousand songs that that Solomon would write as well. We have the dealings, the words, the literature of the wisest man to live on earth. And that brings us to our passage in Proverbs chapter 1. Now, we've already dealt with, with the opening verse. So let's just spend a, a few moments looking at verses 2 to 6 before we spend a majority of our time in, in verse verse 7. This is Solomon writing at the beginning. Um, Solomon doesn't actually write all of Proverbs. There's other editors that are mentioned later on. But he starts off here before um, we get into uh, 10 father-son talks um, um, from chapter 1 onwards. And verses, ten, verses 2 to 6 in Proverbs chapter 1 really is, is the purpose or the theme of Proverbs outlined. It offers the, the benefits of, of following the teaching contained within it, contained with God's word. In essence, what these verses highlight is what Proverbs has to offer. What is there to be gained to embrace the wisdom? And I'm sure that's, that's a desire of all of our, of our hearts Surely we want to be wise people. No right-thinking human would want to be thought as unwise or foolish. I'm sure we have all had experiences where we have made a decision. and Immediately or maybe a few months later, we've realised that was very foolish. That was unwise. It was irrational. I did not think that through and consequences may come our way. I'm confident that all of us would want to be considered as, as wise people. You'd like to think of people thinking of you as being wise. We don't like making rash decisions. We don't like being caught off guard and having to jump at a decision and a choice. We want to be discerning. We want to be thinking people who make logical choices. But the real question is, and the question we need to ask all of our, all of our hearts tonight Does our understanding, our perception of wisdom, match up with that of the Bible? Let me repeat that. Does your perception of wisdom match up with that of the Bible? As you scan your eyes from verses 2 to 6, you will see the benefits quite quickly. And we'll run through them uh, very briefly. In verse 2, to know wisdom, instruction, and to understand words of insight. To know wisdom. To know this is how Solomon starts it off. It has the idea of becoming conscious or becoming aware of, of, of something. Notice how in this verse, how wisdom and instruction they 're connected together. they 're sort of interchangeable. Wisdom cannot be possessed without an individual receiving instruction. That's the point there. In verse 3, it talks about to to receive instruction, to be taught in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Um, There's another translation that puts it like this, verse 3, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. And the idea put forward here is that we must take hold of this instruction to receive it. We must be ready with open hands to receive this instruction and to accept it. It emphasizes that to be wise requires action, requires something on our part. In verse 4 it talks about to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the, to the youth. Wisdom has something, biblical wisdom has something to offer. It has something to give. And the, what it what it offers is prudence in verse four. Prudence, the idea of, of good judgment. It's actually really another way of talking about wisdom. And it's to to the simple. Now that's not talking about um, people who are who are poorly educated. Really, what what Solomon's talking, about, what that word means is it really denotes a person who is is gullible, someone who is without moral direction, and actually even it really talks about someone who's inclined to evil someone who has who has an evil heart and this is the potential impact that biblical wisdom has for us today it can take those who who lack character who have lack good morals who are prone and inclined to evil decisions and to utterly transform them it has the potential to change and transform lives and Solomon also wants to add that it also has relevance to the young as well. So as he's starting to build this up, verse 5, he, he compels, Let the wise hear, let those who, who perceive themselves to be wise, to be open to the wisdom offered. The one who is truly wise will be desirous to learn more and willing to be guided in their life. It's a characteristic of a wise person. They'll, want to be, uh, they'll, they'll have an inclination to hear and to learn. And then verse 6 again, to understand the wise are invited to explore the meanings contained within these proverbs and sayings. Again, to understand it reinforces the idea that the wise are, they're involved in this, they're involved in the process of, of wisdom. It's not that instruction and wisdom is just planted into our heads. We're not robots, but that we have to do something. And just like we think of a riddle or maybe like a profound statement, when we read it or hear it, we might not get it right away. We might have to say it over a couple of times. We might have to, have to think about it. We, we digest it, think about it till we figure it out. And that's, that's what our task is as well. That when we arrive at the words of these, these Proverbs, these inspired words of God through Solomon and others in this book, that when we hear them, we take our time to think about them and make sure that we have got the true meaning of what they're saying. So we arrive at the, at the key verse of the book of Proverbs. People have said this is the, the foundational principle, the motto of Proverbs. It's actually that important. It's, it's quoted twice again in Proverbs 9.10. And we're going to break down this verse this evening and just look at the various phrases and what it has to teach us tonight. And I want you to notice this about verse 7, specifically the first part of this verse. I want you to see how fear, which is really reverence of the Lord, is connected with the beginning of knowledge. We could put it another way and we could state it like this. Worship of God leads to the beginning of wisdom. Or we could flip it on its head and we could say this, wisdom is the fruit of of a right relationship with God. You could be you could be the greatest intellect around. You could be the smartest person, you could, be the, you could be the smartest cookie in your in your class or in your family. You could have an incredible degree of information stacked up in your brain. And you could be fairly successful in your life um, so far up to this point. But Without a love or adherence, without a a fear, a worship toward the holy, triune God, the one who has created you, then true biblical wisdom is simply a distant reality. Let's think about the fear. What is the Bible's understanding of fear? Fear is, is reverence, as I've already intimated. It really could be translated reverent obedience, which leads us back to this morning the hebrew word uh, to fear the old testament's tra- um, written originally in hebrew it could be translated to say love or worship as well they're they're very much acceptable translations of the, of this word and that really alters how we think about this verse once we think about love and worship and what the, the writer is saying here is to faithfully and biblically fear, love, worship the Lord is to, to love Him. It's it is to to worship Him, and this is a love that encompasses our whole lives. It's something that isn't just contained to meetings and gatherings, as great as they are on a, on a Sunday or maybe on in a midweek. No, these are this is worship of of our entirety of our lives. The Apostle Paul really summarizes this superbly in his book, to the, his letter to the Romans. And he says this in Romans 12, as we read about that, that he's talking about all of life worship, that our, life, that, that our worship should be that we willingly present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is your spiritual worship. That's what it means to, to fear the Lord. Not that we come and we, we are afraid of God when we think of him. That we become anxious. That we maybe even subconsciously think of God as, as as cold, as mean. As maybe a heartless dictator some would like to espouse in our world. But we don't come to God trembling with utter fear. That's not the God we serve. We don't serve God out of an attitude of guilt or forced duty. That's not what it means to fear. We we love and we worship because of the God who is love and is worthy of our worship. Our reverence, our worship is left for the Lord. And notice how, as the verse continues, how Lord in your translation of the Bible is capitalized and that's a direct reference by Solomon to the one true God. This isn't just talking about God and any other God, but this is Israel's God, Yahweh. And this is the covenant God. This is the relational God who is in relationship with his people, who has committed to his people. He is the God who creates, the one who sustains, but also the God who can be known the big difference between the Christian God and any other lowercase gods that are uh, proposed throughout our world, our God has become known. At one level, God is, is transcendent, which means he is, he is above us, and we won't fully be able to, in its entirety, comprehend who God is and his grandeur. Yet at the same time, and on the same page, he is still know- knowable. He has enabled humanity the capacity grasp who he is yes we have his word and we give thanks for god and his word through the bible we're so grateful for that but above all it's through the manifestation of his son it's the word become flesh jesus christ jesus is the son of god the second member of the trinity and jesus is right here in verse seven once we are thinking about yahweh lord he is, he's rightfully incorporated into this. The fear, the reverence, the love of Jesus Christ is the beginning of knowledge. We live post New Testament. We're a grateful people that we have the New Testament. And an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for, for, for you and for this world should drive us to worship, to that, that true understanding of fear. And with that, with that worship as the foundation, that is where true knowledge begins. So as we think about trying to be wise, to be authentically wise, you must, it's not optional, you must be in relationship with the one who created you, the one who defined you, the one who is sovereign over you, the one who sustained you, but the one who loves you. The one who sent his son to die for you. To fear the Lord is how we begin to have a fulfillment of knowledge, both earthly but also spiritually. This is the beginning of acquiring true wisdom. It's not a wisdom that we we simply start off with and then we sort of move on our our merry way. It's not like maybe how we might think of of stabilizers, maybe hearkening back to the the good old days when you first started to ride a a bike. And we we put stabilizers on and we we learn how to ride a bike. And then that glorious moment comes where we get the stabilizers off and we're able to ride freely on our bicycle might fall down, but we'll get back up, but we, we don't need the stabilizers again. Or it's not like how you might treat breakfast in the morning, that we sort of have breakfast, it, it gets us up and going in the morning, but sooner or later, um, it's, it's run its course and we, we need something else to re-energize us. No, it's better to actually think of this as, as, as the fuel in a car. To start the car, you need fuel. And for the car to keep going, you need fuel very simple formula no fuel your car's not doing much and it's going to stay parked outside your house and it's not going to be able to fulfill its purpose but how are we um, to understand knowledge well we cannot understand wisdom or grasp it outside of knowledge they're inseparable and to think of them as as two distinct categories isn't helpful they're connected so think of it as as an individual, someone who is who is truly wise, someone who you would consider to be wise. They're going to be a person that has an astute degree of knowledge, and vice versa. Someone who is knowledgeable, someone who is truly knowledgeable, will be a wise person. They'll be wise in character in how they deal with other people, and so on. But with that, and the the, the first half of verse seven dealt with. And indeed, up to this point, the content of what Solomon says it's been fairly positive, it's been helpful, we can engage with it, we can see it as, as 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 encouraging. But with the second half of verse 7, there's a sharp shift in tone. We read these words. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's firm and it's striking words. That hopefully will grab our attention. We have really, in our society, lost the the meaning of of many words. I've made reference to this in the past, and one of those words that we have lost the meaning of is the word "fool" or "folly" or or "foolishness." To be foolish is it's it's lighthearted. It's almost lost. It's almost really a humorous rebuke. There's no real seriousness attached to someone. ...who is is considered a fool. Almost in some cases um, the fool is someone who is likeable... ...and someone who is well-meaning. But that's not the case for what Solomon's talking about here. And it's not the case whenever um, fool is mentioned in scripture. We should not think of it in those terms. What Solomon is referring to stands at the other end of the spectrum of wisdom... It's the total opposite of the wise person. The fool is unable and incapable of understanding wise teaching. It's because they're self-conceited. They're unlike the wise in every area. They're unteachable. They're fixated on their own particular opinions. They can't be taught or guided. They're actually death to wisdom. And the word used here refers to people who, with, with morally deficient characters that prompt irrational behavior. Proverbs 12 and 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Unlike the wise, the, the fool is self-sufficient and does not heed counsel. In fact, they despise wisdom. And instruction. They see no value in it. It's totally worthless to them, and they treat knowledge presented to them like the dirt on the ground. And a characteristic and attribute of the fool is that they have no desire to be taught. They don't cherish knowledge, they don't cherish ultimate knowledge con- contained in this book we call the Bible, God's Word. They don't seek instruction. They don't want to be taught by what God has instructed in his word. And in moments when it's graciously offered to them. People can be insulted. They can be even repulsed. By the very suggestion that they 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 could learn something new. Or that they need to change. Or that they need to become wise. Often. The fool, the person who doesn't want any of this, will remove themselves from situations where they will be offered wise instruction. And so with that, they don't have to be confronted with the truth and with the knowledge and the issue of their pride. In an ultimate sense, the the fool depicted in Proverbs is the one outside of a relationship with God. Someone who has rejected to worship God. I have a a close friend. Someone who is in my own estimation millimetres from becoming a Christian. But is not a follower of Jesus. And often I'll have conversations with him and talk to him about about many things. About the gospel and his need to, to come to saving faith in Jesus. And the terms that he'll like to talk about is never in these terms. He'll talk about sort of grand things and try to divorce himself from the situation. He certainly does. And you may like to think of in the terms of not being a Christian as being misinformed. My friend will talk about not having enough information, not having enough proof, so that he does, he, he's able to put off becoming a Christian time and time again. I'll constantly hear the, the not yet, the not yet, the not yet. But the Bible calls a spade a spade. And really to reject the free gift of God is nothing less than foolishness. That's harsh words. And I pray that we would never be people that would harden our hearts to this. We don't know about the not yet and when that will take place. We can't deny the reality of the Christian message. We stand on history. We stand on the shoulders of those who have went before us. Who testify of what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. One of the encouraging aspects of Christianity is that it is based and rooted in history. That Jesus really lived. No one's going to deny that. Certainly no one's going to deny that Jesus really died But there is substantial, overwhelming evidence that convicts and challenges that Jesus really rose from the dead. Jesus really rose from the dead. And his word, the the Bible, and the church, his people, testify to that and have done so for thousands of years. See, the Christian message isn't for those who want to have a little bit of self-improvement. It's not for those who really just want to live better lives, as though it may offer parts of that. It's a message for those who know deep down they're broken and sinful people and need restored. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. The world will look at the cross and will sneer and rebuke and say, What foolishness! But I ask and challenge you, don't let that opinion consume you. But accept the divine wisdom of God. Now if you are a believer in this evening, don't let this be, once we hear this, don't let this be a moment of self-praise. We need to remember that outside of God's divine intervention, we would actually still be in the place of foolishness. And we would be despising the true wisdom, knowledge contained in his word. And because of that, we need to allow God's wisdom to infiltrate our lives. So just one final point of application as we conclude this evening. And it's the idea of being teachable. It's very important. We have seen this from this passage clearly that the wise will the wise person will be someone who is open to teaching. They will be a discerning thinking. I know there's lots of different um, levels of ability in regards to education. But this is not really to do with education. This is actually a heart issue in regards to are we open and willing to be taught by God? None of us have, have arrived. We're not the finished article. Until we, once we leave this scene of time and into glory, we're still far from perfect. So let me ask quite simply do you have a teachable spirit? Would you consider yourself to be easily taught? Once we look at, at the life of Jesus and who he inter- interacted with is the antagonists, the Pharisees, scribes, the teachers of the law. One of the things that constantly comes back is that they lack the leaning to be taught. They have no desire. How often do we read that they mocked, sneered, rebuked, rejected, refused to listen to what Jesus had to say? As Christians, our lives should be marked with a willingness to be taught. The wise know they aren't the finished article and they acknowledge that they are on a, a road of learning. The lifestyle of a disciple of Jesus must lay down their pride and must be willing to be taught. There should be a desire to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and allow that to change and infiltrate our lives. If not, if we don't have that openness, that leaning, that tendency, then we're returning to the default position. We're closing ourselves off to truly worshipping God. Proverbs 1 verse 7 reads this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. As much as this verse can be interpreted as a command or an exhortation. It simply is a statement of fact at the end of the day. Worship of God is the start of true knowledge one paraphrase puts it simply like this of uh, the first half of verse 7 start with god the first step in learning is bowing down to god wisdom is the fruit of a right relationship with god let's pray Our God in Heaven, we thank you that you are our, our creator you 're the God who is worthy of our worship, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and thank you for your Word, which contains the knowledge. Thank you that you have left us instructions you 've not left us to our own devices, but you 've given to us your your good word your your law of liberty your perfect law God thank you that with that, drives us to worship. And I pray that we would be people who would want and have a desire to worship you in all aspects of our lives. This is the beginning of true knowledge. This is the beginning of ultimate wisdom. And we ask that we'd be people marked by this. We'd be people marked by a willingness to learn and be taught by your word. God, we acknowledge, we, we, we feel, we mess up. There's so much more that we don't know. There's so much more that we could know. And we ask that we would have a willingness to learn and grow in godliness. Not that we become puffed up and that we grow in our knowledge so we feel a bit smarter, or feel a little bit more confident in our own understanding, but that we grow in understanding of who you are. And how great you are that we have become better worshippers as we grow in knowledge of who you are. God, we thank you that you have revealed and been so good to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for the ultimate revelation of Jesus Christ, the word become flesh. And it's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen.